As the racing season winds down, the separation season begins. Now, when I say separation season, I don't mean the season to separate yourself from racing, although that's exactly what many of your competitors are doing. And that provides an opportunity for you to separate from the pack. Within This Is Bracket Racing Elite, we focus on growth year-round, but the gains, they're, they're small, they're incremental during race season for two reasons. Number one, because your attention as a racer is split, right? You've got upkeep, maintenance, travel, all the things involved with the racing season, in addition to a focus on your own growth. And because other racers are working hard at that time too. It's this time of year, this separation season, where putting in the work can really allow you a leg up on the competition. If you're serious about doing just that, and you'd like to surround yourself with a group of knowledgeable trainers and accountable peers with the tools, the resources, the wisdom to help you take that next step, and perhaps even with the occasional kick in the pants to keep you on track, this is Bracket Racing Elite is the answer. We've helped thousands of racers just like you take the next step toward becoming the best version of themselves on the racetrack. Elite can help you do the same. Enrollment is open as of Monday, November 27th, and it closes December 8th. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite. Today's podcast is brought to you in part by This Is Bracket Racing Elite. If you're an open-minded racer with a desire to improve on the racetrack, This Is Bracket Racing Elite can provide the tools to help you get it done. This week's podcast is brought to you in part by Bill Taylor Enterprises. BTE is a manufacturing, design, and support company that specializes in high-performance automatic transmission assemblies and components for drag racing, off-road, marine, and street performance. With over 50 years of experience in drag racing, BTE has been a trendsetter and innovator, placing themselves and their customers ahead of the pack. The Port-A-Tree motto is quality in everything we do. And that comes through with every Port-A-Tree product I've used myself. Port-A-Tree products are designed and manufactured in the U.S. by racers just like us. Check them out at www.portatree.com. Be sure to use discount code DRAG10 for 10% off of your order. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jed. I'm Big Jed, Jared Pennington. He's Cool Hand Luke Bogacki. If you're a regular listener, thank you for your patronage. If you're new, you'll probably catch on soon enough. Our goal is to shed some light on the events, news, and issues in Sportsman Drag Racing and the stars within it. This offseason, it is our goal here on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to interview each of our 2018 world champions, the NHRA Sportsman Champions, the NHRA Summit ET Series Champions, and the IHRA Summit Super Series Champions. Today's show is just an extension of that pursuit. Today, we will welcome 2018 Superstock World Champion, 
Justin Lamb. Justin recently won his fifth NHRA World Championship, which puts him in rare air within the sportsman drag racing community. His 2018 Superstock crown, in addition to being his fifth title total, was his third in Superstock and also his third in the last two calendar years. One year ago, in 2017, Justin became just the third driver in NHRA history, joining Scotty Richardson and Jeff Strickland to win two championships in the same season when he won the crown in both Superstock and Stock Eliminator. In 2018, he came excruciatingly close to duplicating that feat. Justin not only won the Superstock title for a second consecutive season, he also finished second in the Stock Eliminator standings by a mere one point. In doing so, he posted the second highest points total of any sportsman racer in 2018 in Stock Eliminator. His Stock Eliminator score was the second highest points total of any sportsman racer regardless of category. It just so happened that the highest points total of any sportsman racer regardless of category was held by Brian McClanahan, who also competes in Stock Eliminator. So, again, joining us now, 2018 NHRA Superstock World Champion, Justin Lamb. It's time for The Big Interview on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast with Luke and Jen. Uh, joining us now, welcome to the podcast, five-time NHRA world champion, Justin Lamb. What's happening, JL? Not much. Thank you guys uh, for having me. It's always a pleasure. Oh, our, the pleasure is completely ours. Now, we have, um, you've been on the show before. Jed and I have sung your praises for the better part of two years. Well, since we've been doing the podcast, so I would imagine most of our listeners are uh, at least relatively familiar with you and your career, but I want to take it back a little bit, um, way back. Like, where did this first start for Justin Lamb? I know you've got a junior dragster background. Kind of walk us through your racing career from this jump. Well, my father uh, has always been into racing in one way or another, or, or fast vehicles, I guess. And so he had a couple. Uh, he had a couple fast boats, like pleasure boats. Um, and, and basically him and a partner started, uh, they actually had a couple blown alcohol hydros. I don't know. It's basically like an alcohol funny car dragster motor in a boat. And, uh, they just owned them, didn't drive them. And, uh, one of the guys that, uh, one of the guys that drove them crashed real bad and, uh, I almost died. I mean, he was on life support for a long time and here my dad's like, man, I'm going to answer to this guy's wife and he's got kids and blah, blah, blah. He's like, I'm not going to be responsible for killing someone. And so, uh, basically the, I mean, the dragon boats, I don't know if they're safer now, but at the time were pretty dangerous. And, uh, so we got out of drag boats and it was as simple as we were, we were literally at like a local car show when I was seven years old and junior dragsters were kind of just getting going. And uh, a couple people had them at the car show and he, he, I mean, he checked them out and for my eighth birthday, I got one. So I started racing, uh, I started racing junior dragsters from when I was eight till 15. And then at 15 and a half, uh, I got like a, it's basically like a super stock Monte Carlo is what I would say. It wasn't a super stalker, but that's what it was built like, like a back half Monte Carlo that, uh, had all stock interior stock, you know, front end. Um, it's basically a guy was building it as a super stalker and, and just never finished it. So we got that. And that was my first bracket car. And I guess it just kind of went from there. How, um, how successful were you in the junior dragster ranks? Um, 
I would, I mean, I would say I was pretty successful. Um, I didn't win a national championship in juniors, but I won the division a few times. And, and back then it was a lot different. Uh, and I'm just getting into this full circle here because my son turns five actually tomorrow and, uh, he's getting a junior. So I'm going to learn more and more, but like my understanding, like now, uh, when, when you were junior directors now, they have like a divisional event, almost like, a, like the full size cars do. And, and you get a Wally for winning that. And, and I, by the sounds of it, you kind of get a Wally for winning anything with juniors these days. So, uh, when I did it, the only time you got a Wally is you won a national championship or you won the whole division championship. If you won a division race, you got a plastic trophy. If you won the points at the end of the year, you know, you got a, uh, you, you know, that then, then you were the division champion, then you got a Wally and blah, blah, blah. So when I did it, you know, I mean, I probably have 10 junior Wally, something like that from, you know, division championships and, and things of that nature. And, but it, it was a lot different time. Like you don't, like, I, I would love to come on. Like I see sometimes like the stuff on Facebook, like, you know, a, a junior dad will post and this guy's got like 47 Wallies and he's 13. It's like <laughs> that wasn't an option. Like I, if I won every race my whole junior career, I couldn't get 47 Wallies, you know, like, right. But, uh, but I was pretty good at, it. I mean, whatever it was, I, I was pretty good at it definitely. And, uh, you know, a lot of the people that I raced with, uh, I'm sure you guys talk about on the podcast also, uh, I mean, you guys know Mangus, uh, Ryan Mangus drives one of my cars and, uh, he, him and I raced juniors together. Um, Sean Langdon was a little bit older than us. So he, I raced with him, but, but he obviously stopped racing sooner than I did. And so there's kind of a group of us that still, Kyle Rizzoli is one that we raced with, uh, Tyler Hogan from Hogan's Manifold. Like we, were, we have like this whole little group and it's pretty cool. Cause a lot of us are still, are still racing together today, basically, you know? Yeah, no, that is awesome. And I don't know how common it is either when I look back at some of that. So it's pretty cool stuff. Um, Take me through the time frame of that, too. You're, what, 31 now? 31 now, so... Uh, so that's 23 years ago that it really got started for you. And it got specific, started, yeah. specific to the Junior Dexter days, were you guys traveling around a fair amount at that point, or did it just start at Vegas, or...? You know, it started in Vegas. Like, we probably raced, when I was 8 9, probably in Vegas pretty exclusively. I mean, we might have traveled once in a while for another race, but once I got 10, 11, 12 years old, we traveled a bunch, um... Yeah, I mean, like, at the time, Pomona, um, for people not around here, like Pomona, the only thing that's raced at Pomona now is the Winter Nationals World Finals, and I think they have one other event a year, like an NMCA race or something. At the time, they had like a weekly junior program, and they had a, they would have 200 juniors on a Saturday bracket race in Pomona. I mean, it was a huge deal back then. And uh, so we used to go to Pomona a lot. That was probably like our main deal um, was going there. And uh, then obviously we started traveling for the junior events, and or for the divisional events, I mean, and and then we took some crazy trips. Uh, for those that don't know, my dad is a Matco tool dealer. He's one of the longest and, and uh, largest in the country. And uh, there was a couple times where Matco um, had helped me out his sponsorship for my junior dragster. And like one time I went all the way to junior race in Bud's Creek, Maryland. And the reason I ended up there was because it sounds crazy, right? But the reason I ended up there is because Matco wanted me to do it. This is when I was probably 12 or 13. They wanted me to do an exhibition run at, uh, at English town that used to be the Matt Couture super national. So I went all the way to English town to do this. And we're like, well, we might as well actually go racing somewhere. So we ended up at like Bud's Creek, Maryland, Cecil County, Maryland. I can't remember where else. Like, so we probably, I, whatever, we traveled a bunch even back then, but some of, <laughs> you know, for other reasons. What, uh, now when you transitioned into the, the Monte Carlo, you said was your first quote unquote big car. That was just a bracket car, correct? It was, I, I think I ran Super Street maybe once or twice with it, just mm -hmm. kind of because, but like, I mean, you're going to laugh, like, 
And so this is, let me, let me prelude this with this. So my father and I have never drag raced anything. I mean, he had drag boats. I had juniors. That was it. We didn't even know what a throttle stop was, you know? So I hear I get this Monte Carlo and we're like just bracket racing and it, and it went well. And, um, anyway, the, the bottom line is we're like, Oh, let's try to run super street. So we've got a Monte Carlo with a three speed turbo 400 in it. And so we got a throttle stop and a timer and it's a pure guess, but I just left the starting line and I would shift immediately from one to two. And then when it would come off the stop, whenever time it comes to stop, immediately I shipped two to three. Like that's how I raised super street. <laughs> and, uh, we didn't, I mean, it was just so stupid, but I think we only did that two or three times. And then we ended up, uh, getting a super calm dragster and started trying to learn this. But, but that's something that, uh, I think you and I actually, you and I and Kyle had this conversation at one time, but like when we got into racing full-size cars, like we literally had zero idea what we were doing. I mean, I, I mean, yeah, my dad knew how to work on a big block Chevy and I mean, I knew what, how to cut a light, but it, the, all the throttle stops and all this other stuff was a huge learning curve for us. No, and I think that's a really cool part of your overall story because most people that have success, particularly at a at a younger age, are typically second generation racers. And as you said, your 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 father and your family in general has been a huge part of your racing career. But Chris was never necessarily a racer himself. Um, so that no, no, no. struggle, that getting from where you were then to where you are now, like that is a monumental jump. No. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, I mean, I believe it was just because. You know, we were clueless. I, I mean, honestly, uh, you know, I mean, even, oh, we need a throttle software on Super Street. Okay, what's that? I mean, they literally didn't even know. <laughs> what is that? You know, like, okay, sure. we just put a bolt under the pedal? Because in a junior, if you went 870, you need to go 890. Back in the day, you either added weight or you, you know, would restrict the throttle, like, you know, with a bolt or whatever. Like, I mean, that's kind of how, so we're like, oh, we just did it on a big car. It's like, no, 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 no. You got to buy this timer and this, you know, I mean, it was, just, we didn't know anything. So right. it was a big learning curve. and. I mean, it was fun. Yeah, I mean, learning anything, it keeps you interested. But And along the way, I mean, you guys haven't shied away from anything. I think you're probably best known for your championship runs in stock and super stock, but you've got national wins in super comp, super gas. Uh, I don't know if it was necessarily top drags or the one that you won was called top comp or something along those lines, but same idea. Um, and you've run a little bit of everything, competition eliminator. I mean, you guys haven't shied away from a thing. Yeah. I guess, uh, yeah, most of my, we just kind of did what we thought was fun more or less. And I, and I don't know what, I don't know what the idea is out of juniors. It, it really doesn't make sense to me. Although I, I did it at one time, but you know, you get out of a junior, you hit the bottom your whole life. It's a, I mean, it's really stupid looking back. Like a no brainer. Why don't we get a stalker, super stalker then? But it's almost like the natural thing. Everybody goes and buys a super comp car. And so that's what we did. You know, <laughs> we're, and, we're used uh, to driving a dragster, right? <laughs> well, and I, yeah, I mean, and, but I mean, yeah, it's used to driving a dragster, but it still makes zero sense, you know? And, uh, so anyway, so yeah, I started in super comp and then, uh, super stock. And I, then I, I we had a super gas car for a while, so I didn't run super comp and I would run super stock and super gas. And I, super stock has been a constant since we started. Like when we got our first super stalker, I was probably, I don't know if I were to guess 19 or 20. Mm-hmm. And ever since then, I've raced that class no matter what. But like stock, like, you know, we didn't even, we never raced stock eliminator until 2013. Um, so whatever, yeah, we've just gone back and forth. And, and comp was a lot of fun, but I mean, it got to be a lot of work and very expensive. And, and it's probably something that I would keep doing if the class had a little more popularity. Like uh, it's kind of boring racing the same like six or eight cars every week. And that's kind of what comp has turned into. So 
when I first started racing comp, you know, let's say 2010, I mean, even at our divisionals, we'd have 30 cars. Now, I mean, there was a divisional this year, I think in Salt Lake City that there was like, if you showed up, you're in the final. Right. I mean, it's just kind of, I, I'm mean, it's hard to want, be very motivated or invest that much money into a class that has no competition. I, I mean, it, the competition's tough when they're there, but there's not many people there, you know? Sure. Sure. Um, okay. Let's transition into this latest title run. Obviously you come off of a, a dream season in 2017, become one of the three drivers in the history of NHRA sports and drag racing to win multiple world championships in one season, doing it in stock and super stock. I know when we turn the calendar to 2018, you didn't have any desire to chase a title this season, at least at the beginning of the year. Walk me through the initial few events and when that thought began to change. I don't know. I, I don't think the thought ever really changed, but <laughs> I just felt like it was the right thing to do. Like I, I basically, sure. I, I think on my fourth Superstock national, I'd won three, which you claim three out of six. And so uh, I had a perfect score there. Then I had a decent score in stock at the time. Like I forget what my national record was. And so I came home. I, yeah, I think uh, you had two wins in stock already at that point, right? Something like that. Yeah. yeah. And uh, so basically I, whatever, I, I had great scores going and it, I came home and was like, yeah, I'm just going to go to the Denver National. And my dad's like, oh, we should really go to the Sonoma Divisional and just see what happens. I'm like, all right, I'll go to the Sonoma Divisional and the Seattle Divisional. If I win one of them, I'll, uh, I'll continue on. If not, I'm just going to national events. I don't, like, I'm, I just wasn't that into it. it. I mean, you know, it takes a lot out of you mentally, everything. I mean, sure. a lot of travel and whatever. So I just wasn't that into it. And uh, I go to Sonoma Divisional and I win Super Sock. So now I have four wins and five claims because I had another divisional I'd went to in Vegas early in the year just because it was my home race mm-hmm. and lost second round. So at this point, I've got four wins and five races. And it's like, this is going to be easy. Like, four <laughs> wins and five. I just got to go like three or four rounds the next couple of races. It'd be no big deal. And it went downhill from there. But, right, right. So the bottom line is, <laughs> I was never that into it. Like, I just kind of did it, uh, I mean, a lot for my father. I mean, a lot for Kyle. Um, I think most of the world knows what's going on with Kyle right now. and. I just, they wanted me to do it. So I did it. And, uh, but uh, I don't know. I wasn't too, I wasn't too that. I wasn't very excited about it throughout the process, put it that way. Sure. No. And I mean, from a, from a financial standpoint, I think most of our listeners know, like it's a lot easier to justify taking what you've got and running national events than it is ever going to a points meet just from sheer, the, the, the outgo expense wise is about the same. And in a division race, you might win 25% of the winnings and they could typically take, take up just as much time and energy um the logistics of chasing an nhra championship specifically from your area you know what i mean because division seven is pretty spread out to begin with um that's that's a grind to begin with specific to your situation this year where sure you had the national score in place early but then you've got to essentially pick up what ended up being what an additional seven division races from what june on um that's that's even yeah that's even more condensed more difficult speak a little bit to the hoops maybe that you had to jump through in the logistics of simply making enough events yeah it's definitely uh it was definitely difficult and and obviously some of this is my own fault because i i didn't want to race for points so i didn't know you know i skipped several divisionals early in the season that were much closer to home but I mean, there was a point. Uh, so basically, I leave Sonoma, I go to Seattle, then I go to Salt Lake. Seattle's probably, I'm just guessing, 1,500 miles from Vegas. Salt Lake's, 
I don't know, six, now was it four fifty five hundred from Vegas, whatever. Those aren't terrible. But then it was like, okay, now we need more. So literally we have to leave Vegas. I had a friend of ours drive the rig, uh, which was very helpful. So I just had to fly. But at, at the next point we went 3,900 miles for two points races <laughs> at four and a half miles per gallon. Yeah. And this is great, whopping, yeah. Yeah. Well, I had to go to all the way from Vegas to uh, Woodburn, Oregon, which is basically Portland, okay. Oregon, mm-hmm. and from Portland all the way to Great Bend, Kansas. And just and and then by the way, when I got to Great Bend, I'm there on Tuesday for a points race because my cobalt is having transmission issues in Salt Lake and Woodburn. So to go make sure it was fixed, I wanted to run the testing tune that was on Wednesday, and then race the Thursday Friday divisional, and then skip the Saturday Sunday, and come home because to I wanted save to save my last race for race. Vegas. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I mean. I could have raced, I could have gone 3,900 miles for three races, but instead I just went for two. I mean, it, so it's just, I mean, it was my own fault. Absolutely. But I mean, it made zero sense. Like, like that race, uh, I mean, in Great Bend was ridiculous. I wanted to run this testing tune and I, if you ever go to Great Bend, closest airport's like two hours away. There's not many flights in there. So next thing you know, I mean, I'm a Tuesday, I'm going to a points race. Like the, the last thing I would, this is like even above and beyond why I didn't want to chase points. And here I am like. It's kind of funny, but sure. No. And I mean, that's the thing that I don't think from the outside until you live it, people don't understand You're like, Oh, I just, he went and, you know, 14 races and he won seven of them and he's world champ. Like it's, there's a little, there's typically a little bit more that goes into it. So, <laughs> um, we'll get into specific rounds here in a minute because I know you had some huge ones and I want to dissect the, the the moment and the mental framework and all of that fun stuff but actual specific events as you look back um let's just keep it to your super stock season where the championship was won for now um can you look back and say okay this one specific event was a a turning point in the season i don't yeah but it's going to be a turn for the worst unfortunately i i had i had a great season going i uh I mean, by the time I got to Seattle, I think I had won, what, four national events out of like six, I think I went to at the time. Um, then I go to that Sonoma Divisional, I win that, like I, everything's going great. I go to Seattle and just lost a tough race. I forget the numbers, but basically my guy's like 20 dead on, I believe, and I'm 25 or 31 over, whatever. The bottom line is the guy made a good run. I just got beat second round in Seattle, no problem. I got to Salt Lake and I started having transmission issues that I didn't realize at the time or I wouldn't have raced a second Salt Lake Divisional, but it got to a point where I was 15 or 55 and nowhere in between. And when I would, and when I was 55, I had no idea, which, listen, you might do that once. By the end of the weekend, there was, I had five runs where I was 55 to 65 and had no idea on any of them. And I was just like, I left so frustrated. Like, I don't want to do this. Like, maybe it's a pressure getting like, what is going on here? Well, I go home, pull the transmission out. And I mean, it was just, it was burned up. I had a lot of runs on it and, Anyways, come to find out, they find a problem with the transmission. I go to uh, I go to Woodburn and think it's fixed, and uh, the reaction time part was fixed. But all of a sudden, I got this vibration in the car that was like horrendous. Like when you do a burnout, the whole car's shaking. I got the half track, so I never made a full run at qualifying. Find out. Bottom line is, is at some point the drive shaft was messed up. So. But here I think, oh, they just rebuilt the transmission. They had to screw up the transmission. Like, what a. Sure. Well, they right. didn't. It was a drive shaft. So, bottom line is, it was just a mess one way or another. And uh, so, that was like the turn for the worst. Like, here, I'm not that fond of doing this, but I'm kind of doing it because I, 
I guess I'm supposed to, like when you have a perfect score, you're just supposed to do it. Right. Sure. And, uh, and, and then it's just like one thing after another. And so that's why, like I said, I flew to great bend and I ran the testing tune and vibration's still there, but I just made a couple test runs. I hit the tree good. And the car was consistent. I just had to ignore the vibration. Like it, it was from like 400 feet on the track to 700 feet on the track. It would just really, really violent vibration and clean up so I could race it like that. And, uh, I ended up losing there. I think, I don't know what round it was third or fourth round. I remember get, I gave the strike back to Chris Cheney, who was one of the contenders at the end there. And sure. so I feel like that was like the turn for the worst. And then I came home and my father and I took the whole entire car apart before the Vegas, Vegas Pomona and found the problem with the drive shaft. I mean, we just, we went through the whole entire car and, uh, went to Vegas national car worked great. I drove good. And then the Vegas divisional, obviously, you know, that's where we, I guess, finished it up. So, yeah. So but the in between, the season was pretty from, good. Yes. Right, no doubt. But that stretch, at least from a point standpoint, super important between yeah. Seattle and great Ben. And you talk like that was back to back, but that was, that included Salt Lake Woodburn. That included like five or six year points meets, correct? It was five races. Yeah. Right. And so, and so with Seattle, I just lost, but there was four races that I was fighting something and I, and it, you know, the first two, I didn't know what I was fighting. The second two I did, but I had no way to fix it at the, you know, this vibration <laughs> sure. issue. I had no way to figure it out. I mean, I'm on the road, you know, flying in as late as I can and flying home as soon as I can. And, you know, like I said, it was just, uh, I mean, it worked out, but that was kind of the season. Everything's going smooth. When you have four wins and five claims, like I felt really, really good. And <laughs> like six weeks later, I was like, I'm going to lose this championship, you know? Right, right. Yeah, and then the burden of expectation has to set in a little bit. What, well, absolutely, uh, yeah. Talk, take us through, like, you'd mentioned one, and obviously the 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 round that essentially decided the championship is with Sekowski at Vegas, and we'll get to that momentarily. Um, you mentioned meeting up head-to-head with Chris Cheney at Great Bend, both of you in title contention at that point, um, and you shared the, the details of the round, but in general, like, how biggest spot does that feel like in the moment knowing that this round could i mean i guess in in complete honesty any single round could decide the championship but when you go head-to-head with someone else that's also in content in contention it seems to raise the stakes a little bit yeah i i think it probably does i mean at that point i don't know i uh i mean after i lost i'm like well there goes the world right but that same day i went to like the semis or something and had like 689 points in stock and so honestly, it was all I'm like, ah, oh, who cares? I'll probably win stock. Like, <laughs> right. so he'll go on to win. Cause I, I mean, Chris, like, I mean, he was improving there and then, uh, I think he lost a round later, but, but he had like two or three first rounders left. And, uh, yeah, there was, you no, know, and, and he's, he I mean, he's a great really driver, strong, great right. car. Yeah. Yeah. So he looked really good. So a part of me was like, ah, oh, whatever. It wasn't meant to be, but look at stock. Like, this is great. <laughs> well, you know how stock ended up and I didn't win that even with 689 points. And right. So it, it wasn't, it wasn't that bad. Like the round with Sikowski in Vegas, like that was everything. Like, I mean, without a doubt, like it was, if I win, I win the world. If he wins, he wins. I mean, it's pretty simple. I mean, yeah, he had to win one more round, but sure. he's going to, you know? Yeah, no, um, and let's, and so, let's walk through that. That's what third round at Vegas, right? If you win, mm-hmm. it's not over, over technically, like you win a couple more rounds to, to, um, officially clinch. And as you said, if, if, if Saskowski wins the round, he's got to win one more round to overtake you, but the odds are pretty good at that point. Um, so it's essentially, it's as close as we'll probably ever get in a sportsman drag racing setting to the entire season coming down to one round head to head. And 
then Brad lays down what like 15 total or something and you get under it like I guess let's before we even get to the result of it same deal kind of walk us through your preparation mindset coming into that round and maybe then through the round itself well at this point uh like I knew everything was on this race so even forget the round with him just this last race as a whole I mean there was like five or six people that could win you know still at the end of the season, basically coming sure. into the Vegas divisional. I mean, some of the people had to do it at Pomona, but some, but we could lock them out in Vegas basically, but you have five or six people all competing. And at this point I've put in so much time, effort, money, my parents, my wife, kids, I mean, here, like, I mean, I guess I look at it like, uh, you know, I spent all this time away from home, missing T-ball games and missing time with my wife and kids. And, and here I am, uh, whatever. It's like all down to this, you know, like if I screw this up, I did this all for nothing in my head, which sure. I mean, probably isn't true. Like, you know, and, and I very well could have lost that round as you know, but, uh, so the pressure, yeah, it was, I mean, it was at like an all time high. Like for me, this was out of five, this my fifth world championship. And by far, this was the toughest race pressure wise. And then, you know, combine that with probably six or eight weeks before that Kyle tells me, listen, man, I can't race for obviously, you know, here he's battling this, cancer and everything else but he's like i i can make it to the banquet you need to get us to the banquet i'm like oh okay i'll give it my best so here he wants to go to the banquet you know i i spent all this time and effort and and uh it's not just that round but the whole race i mean first or second round i i mean i could have lost there and you know this whole season could or you know this the whole points chase could have been for nothing and uh so it was tough you know so part of me was like probably the most pressure i've ever felt because i just felt like i had to make this happen but on the other end, I did just win the national event the week before. My cobalt is like the best it's ever been. I mean, I went from fighting it to like, I mean, I'll put it up against your bracket dragster right now. Like it's really good, you know? And so uh, I knew I had a good car and I knew I just drove pretty well the week before. So I, I shouldn't have had that much to worry about in general for the event, but I still did, you know, you sit in the back of your head, like you can screw up one little bit and cost you the world, you know? What um, what's the atmosphere or the conversation like pre-round with Brad before that round three matchup? Um, Any different than was, normal? Like it's got there's got to be some tension there, right? You know, I felt like I was probably more serious than normal. Like I had all this riding on, but I'm going to be honest with you. Like, and I know Brad decently well. I've got to know him a lot better over the last couple of years. And, you know, he's a pretty easygoing, laid back, happy guy, whatever. And he was still like pretty laid back and happy. I'm like, How, how's he all freaking smiling? And, 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 like, he said, like we, like we flipped coins, you know, like, I, I forget who won the toss. doesn't matter. I, I don't even remember at this point, but, and he's like, man, this is what it's all about right here. Right. Like he's almost like excited. Like it all comes down to this round. This is awesome. And I'm like, yeah, man, like <laughs> whatever you say, like, I'm glad you're excited. Like here. I'm like, I know I got to, whatever. I know I got to make a run, you know? And, uh, Anyway, so it was pretty good. I mean, he's, I mean, obviously a great racer and a super good guy. And, uh, but it, he was definitely more light than I, like, I don't know how to explain it. Like, uh, like a more easygoing than I thought. Now I'm, I mean, I don't know. I didn't ask him, but I'm sure when he got back to his car, totally different attitude. But at at that point of like, you know, pre-race conversation, he was definitely pretty light and I was probably more serious than normal, you know? And, uh, I didn't have a whole lot to say. I didn't really want to even talk, you know? <laughs> Sure. Right. So. No, and it's funny how people handle those moments in in different ways. I guess it has it falls back to personality. I would be a lot more like 
you, and I feel like my co-host Jed would probably be a lot more like Brad. So I get that. Yeah, it's uh, just it's just how I get. I guess like right. I don't know. It's just how I handle it. Like if I get in a situation like that, whatever, personal life, work, racing, I almost get quiet. Don't want to talk about it. Don't want to talk to anybody. Like I'd rather someone like if I had someone else go flip a coin with him, go do it. So I don't have to, you know, I don't want to deal with it, but he was just happy as ever. I'm like, okay. <laughs> Anyways. Um, as we've mentioned before, this is your fifth NHRA world championship close. I mean, a near miss to a sixth. You mentioned earlier that this year's title run was the, the most difficult for you and the most stressful. Um, is that just a result of, I, like, I don't want to say thinking it was easy, but like you say, you've got four wins and five races. Like, I'll just go to a couple of divisionals and this thing will be over. And then, you know, it kind of starts crumbling beneath your feet. Is it a result of that or just the fact that you didn't necessarily want to do it from the beginning or the way that it all came down and essentially one race decided it all? I think it was a whole combination. Like, uh, I think part of me, the fact that I didn't plan on doing it, I wasn't like mentally prepared to do it. Like, my mental preparation for the season was I'm going to go out and try to win as many national as I can have fun with, you know, my best friend, Kyle, like we're going to go around have fun. My wife and kids are going to come sometimes. My parents, like we're going to have this fun season, right? Like last year we worked our butt off. Now we're going to come and have a good time and uh, right. just relax and race, take the pressure off. Away. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well now you go from relax to not, you know, <laughs> combine that with like, like I said, I had to like all these last minute trips, you know, trying to, trying to plan all of this, you know, like I don't have a, a travel agent, you know, like it's all, I got to figure out the flights. I got to figure out time off of work, figure out how the rig's getting there, getting home, what races to go to. I mean, that's another thing at the end of the year, there's so many options of races to go to. You can go to Noble, you can go to St. Louis, you can go to Great Bend. Like, so it's trying to figure out where do you want to go? Blah, blah, blah. Like I, and then combine that with, I guess the pressure was just simply just, you put in all that time and effort and to come up short. Like, I, I mean, it's gotta be heartbreaking, you know, whatever. I, I just, I feel like I would let myself down, but let my family and everybody else down. Like, you know, you gone all this time. You didn't even win. Like what's wrong with you? I know they wouldn't <laughs> sure. think that, but in my head, like, that's what I thought, you know? Mm-hmm. What, um, now I know if I <clears throat> asked you this at this time last year, we may have had you on the podcast. Um, obviously it's all relatively fluid, but what's next? What's the plan for 2019? I have no idea. Um, <laughs> I don't know. I hopefully just, uh, to be honest with you, uh, I, I don't know. I guess I'm going to see how the year starts. And, you know, uh, a, a part of me, I, it's kind of like the same old thing. Like I don't want to race for points again, but at the same time, if all of a sudden I have a couple of good nationals, like, how do you not do it? And how do you like, I mean, I don't know. I just had an interview with McKenna. We, you know, I know you guys do that, uh, the pick the winners thing or whatever with him. And, uh, you know, he's asked me the same thing and it's almost like, I kind of told him, if I can continue to do this and if I could win another championship or two in the next however many years, I guess it would make my career that much better. I guess. I, I don't know. I, so I feel like I have to try, you know, like when, when I'm 50 years old, am I going to regret not doing it? So I don't want to do that either. You know? So sure. I guess I'm just going to see how the year starts and, and go from there. You know, I don't, and you know what? I might lose first round the first five races and then that'll just solve it all. So it's really hard. Yeah. Then you won't have to worry about it. Exactly. <laughs> um, exactly. 
right, my, my next note here was who to thank in general, and I know that you've got a lot of people to thank. We'll get to that. But you had mentioned Kyle earlier. Can you give us a little bit of an update? How, how's Kyle Seipel doing? What are his spirits? Um, and keep in mind, we're recording this. Well, I think you'll be first out, so this will actually air within the next week. So, Yeah, well, uh, basically right now uh, he had a had like a seven-hour procedure done to remove cancer from his tongue. Uh, he's got cancer, and it started in his tongue. It's now in his lymph nodes. They got it out of his tongue. Now they have to use radiation and chemo to get it out of his uh, lymph nodes. And uh, in general, honestly, he's uh, he's pretty positive. I mean, I got a text last night. Uh, you know, he sends uh, my family a group text, like, happy Thanksgiving. You know, thanks for everything you guys do, and uh, can't wait to race again in Pomona. Like, his goal is he's going to race to Winter Nationals. We got to He's not going to run top direction anymore. We got a new super stalker for him and, uh, nice. and he plans on racing it. So he, I mean, his outlook is super positive. Um, he's had, a, you know, a lot of help and, uh, you know, uh, he's met a few people that have gone through a really similar thing. Um, people in drag racing that many of you might know, like, uh, um, there's a gentleman, uh, Todd Beavis, I believe is his name who runs, uh, who, who I think builds like pro stock chassis. Sure. Mm-hmm. Who went through a very similar uh, thing as him. And believe it or not, Don Schumacher did. And he had a phone call with Don Schumacher uh, just this week. And, and I think that keeps him up. Like, you know, like these guys all beat it. So can he, you know? And uh, so his, his attitude is, is surprisingly positive. And I mean, that being said, it's not easy, you know, like he, uh, he knows he's going to have, this is going to be the hardest thing he's ever done in his life. So, and he knows that. And, uh, you know, I know uh, Pete went out there uh, when we were in uh, Pomona and, you know, I know that was really good for him. I think it really made him happier. And, uh, you know, just being around, you know, I mean, obviously he's had his family all the time, but, you know, having a friend come in and support him. And I, so I think, I think his spirits are good. I think he's going to be all right. I just think it's going to be a hell of a road. You know, I, I mean, I've never, I've heard so many stories, all kinds of people with cancer. This is like the first person real close to me that's had it. So, I mean, this is all something like a lot of your listeners have already dealt with. So, um, for me, this is like a huge shock, like, holy cow you know like th- mm-hmm. this is like well whatever i mean you could lose your best friend like i i mean it sucks you know but i do think that uh he'll get through it and i think that he's got the right attitude and you know like the chemo i think at first he was kind of like ah, i don't know if i really want to do chemo you know it just sounds terrible and it does but now he's got the attitude of you know i'm going to do whatever it takes to live so if chemo gives me the best shot and i if i got to take chemo for a year i'm in like whatever i got to do you know like which obviously they would never do that. I think he's got to do uh, like three two week, three two week uh, sessions of chemo to start. And uh, but like I said, he's just got the outlook now. Like I just want to do whatever I have to do to make this, you know, to, to beat this. So hopefully sure. that's uh, that's how he stays. And you know, I know he appreciates. Just I, I think you know a lot of you know friends and racers and uh, people have been communicating with him and i and i do think that helps you know like he knows that a whole bunch of people are rooting for him and are there if he needs them so or you know he needs help with anything so yeah no question on a uh on a on a fundraising end i know that you guys have really um worked together what's it uh, you your father peter todd barton a few others really came together and uh put together a really cool program can you give us a little update on that like is that stuff still available how much money have you guys raised for kyle Stuff like that. Yeah. Uh, so what we decided to do is, uh, it, you know, it's not as much of the money aspect. I mean, don't get me wrong. This is going to be very sure. expensive what he's going through. But but it was like more, you know, here he hasn't been able to be at the track for three or four months, you know. And 
like the banquet he wanted to go to. He couldn't make it. He just physically couldn't get there. Mm-hmm. Pete was even there to drive him. Pete was like, I'm going to run a motorhome so you can lay in the back bed and we'll just drive down to the banquet. And he's like, dude, I can't do it. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, here he hasn't been able to run anybody. So for me, not only from the financial aspect and how expensive this, you know, the cancer or medical issues can be, but it was almost like this was a way like so many people wanted, like, you know, asked, how can we help Kyle? How can we support him? What do we got to do? You know, things like that. Well, they got to show their support by buying a t-shirt. I, I feel like it was as much for all of his friends and family as it was for, you know, as it was for the, forget the money. Like he got to see all these people wearing a shirt. Like, yeah, uh, no Travis doubt. LVMS did like this huge, yeah, they did like this huge picture with hundreds of people, you know, wearing the shirt with his name on it. So I think it, I think it brought his spirits up. And I also think it let people that, that want to help. There's so many people. I mean, I can't tell you how many people have just come to me. Hey, what can I do for Kyle? And it's like, man, he doesn't eat like, what do you tell somebody? Well, now they can here buy a couple t-shirts and, and wear them. And so it was good for both. Let them know you're thinking about them. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So it kind of accomplished two things, I guess, but so the bottom line is the shirts we have sold out. Um, I had no idea what a pain it was to ship that many shirts, by the way, (laughs) a lot of them we sold the racetrack, but a whole bunch we have to ship. And, uh, my wife and I have been working on shipping them over the last couple of weeks or last this week, to be honest with you, we had the, Pomona on the bank with blah, blah, blah. We finally home. And I think Tuesday or Wednesday this week, we alone, we shipped out like 95 shirts and more yesterday. So, um, it's just, I, I had no idea. You've probably done this, but making every single shipping label, every side anyways, but it's going. And, uh, so if everybody, if anybody on here listening is order shirts, they are coming. It's just, uh, we all have to work and have our regular stuff going on too. So I'm trying to get them done as fast as I can. Yeah, no, I think everybody's understanding on that end. Um, cool stuff, and thank you for the update. Um, uh, beyond um, Kyle, who else needs a shout-out here? Because I know a lot of people help make this happen for you. Yeah, I have um, obviously a lot of help. I couldn't do this. Um, you know, my, my parents and my dad, Chris, uh, you know, he he obviously pays for this and, uh, you know, buys the race cars and gives us the best equipment. And, uh, you know, and his support, my mom's support is huge. and. And obviously my wife and kids, uh, you know, my kids are probably a little young. My daughter's uh, one and a half and my son turns five, like, like I said, tomorrow. But uh, I don't think they really understand. You know, I mean, obviously, I'm sure you get the same thing. Like when I go to leave, you know, Jace gets a little upset. And I'm sure your son might too if he doesn't get to go. But once I'm gone, he forgets about it. But my wife, now she's going <laughs> to take care of both kids by herself and go to soccer and this and that. Everything, like, I, Honestly, like, and, and then on top of it, still be supportive. Like I'd probably be a little more grouchy than she is. She just, uh, you know, she's just there like, Hey, wherever you got to go, go. And you know, she moves me right along. So that helps a bunch, uh, having that support, you know, like some people, I, I don't think everybody's wives are real fond of our sport. So it's cool that <laughs> I definitely couldn't do it if she wasn't. Does that make sense? Like, sure. And, uh, but it's, and then a bunch of sponsors, you know, my big, some of my bigger sponsors, uh, Shane Thompson, I think a lot of you, you probably know him. He, uh, he bracket races quite a bit himself, him and his daughters and, uh, He's a big supporter of mine. He, he actually sponsors. He's the Silver State Plumbing that's on the side of my Cobalt. He sponsors mm-hmm. me, and uh, and you know he was at the Million this year, the the Folk Million and the Spring Fling on the East Coast. So some of you might have met him there. But he's a real good guy and helps me out a bunch. And um, there's him, Redback Boots, Palmer Electric, a couple of the bigger companies, and uh, I have a whole bunch of small ones. And and uh, you know Goodyear Tires, Matco Tools, you know A1 Converters and Transmissions, which that's like my lifeline. I, this sounds stupid, but like the last three years, the last three championships, so 15, 17, and, and now 18, uh, 
at one point or another, I ended up at Bowdish's shop. That the Bowdish family owns the A1, and uh, like this year was my transmission issues. The year before, I had a problem with my front struts, so I didn't have time to stay. They took the whole front of my car apart, sent them back, got them fixed, put them back on. I got to show up and just race, you know. Like they're like my fallback, and I feel like for the last couple of years I had to use them big time. So sure. Um, but like I said, there's a bunch, and uh, I you know I thank them all individually, and I appreciate their help and. Um, that's it. All right, I'll uh, I'll close this off in honor of uh, of my co-host Big Jed because I think this was initially his idea, and I'm pretty sure that you did it when you came on us with us last year. Uh, I'm not super prepared here, but I'm going to try to roll through. You up for five quick rapid fires? Yep, absolutely. All right. Um, what color is your toothbrush, Justin Lane? White. Okay. Well, you white. said that like it was well, obvious. Okay. Well, hold on a second. I have to think, <laughs> but I think it's all white. Well, listen, when you travel as much as me do, I know I have two toothbrushes. I think the one in the motorhome is blue, but my mine at home is white. It's an electric thing, you know. It's like it's just oh, like a white. Okay. I don't know. Yeah. So we got we got we got the travel blue. What? Um, uh-huh. How about a pet peeve or the one thing that annoys you the most? This is going to get a lot of flack, but stupid sayings in drag racing. Like electricity. <laughs> Give me an example. And an S dime. It's that fucking S10. That's what it is. It's an S10. It's not an S dime. It's not. And like, what's with all these people falling out of their race cars? Do they not wear seatbelts? That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. I fell out at fifth round. What do you mean you fell out? What are you talking about? We could dedicate a I, whole I episode it. to this, Justin. I think you're onto something. Listen, big wheels rolling. Like, you know how many times I have to read that a year on Facebook? Big wheels rolling to. St. Louis, big wheels rolling at Denver. Like I hate those. Hate them. <laughs> what um, what uh, what job or task would be worst suited to your personality? Would be worst. Yeah. And what could uh, you just not see yourself doing at all? Ugh, anything messy. Like I'm anything. I, like like a. Like a diesel mechanic, you know, like I, like I can just, you know, my dad sells tools, these guys, and they just like grease from head to toe. Like I couldn't do it. Um, anything How, dirty, I'm out. Like, okay. Yeah. Good stuff. Um, favorite superhero. <laughs> favorite what? I'm sorry. Superhero. Mm, I don't know if I, had, you're going to laugh, but, uh, I don't, I don't think I have one and I don't really watch, uh, I don't really watch like things like that. Like if I, if it's not like real or has the potential of being real, I'm out. That'd have been a better question. We had this discussion at work the other day. Yeah. Yeah. My, uh, my, my coworkers the other day were talking about this show called like the game of game of Thrones. And, uh, I don't have a whole lot of time for TV anyway, but they're telling me it's like dragons and stuff. And I'm like, listen, I'm already out. Like <laughs> I'd rather watch like a documentary on like freaking Tupac or something than watch, you know, like, something that can't ever happen it doesn't interest me you know uh let's dig back in the uh, in the lamb archives how about favorite um halloween costume and it has to be one of your personals from years past hey i'm gonna you definitely get crap for this one but um around here uh in vegas there's like besides utah is like the highest population of uh, the mormon religion which um, the great people I got most of my friends in high school, everybody. So bottom line is I'm probably like, I don't know, early teens maybe. And, uh, they're doing this thing up at the, the Mormon church, like a block from my house. A bunch of my friends go there. So they invite me. It's like this, uh, Halloween, uh, you know, just like a trunk or treat or whatever. 
Well, needless to say, I got asked to leave not long after I showed up because my mom had in her old brownies outfit. Like, I guess it's like a Boy Scouts, but it's for girls, I guess. And uh, she dressed me up as a, as a brownie, as a female, and like the church went berserk. Like, I can't do that. <laughs> anyway, so like, I was like, I don't know. I, I don't even know if we have a picture of it. But anyway, it was like, yeah, she dressed me up as a girl and sent me to the church. How'd that go? <laughs> did, did I miss the age range? How old were you? I was probably 12 or 13, but I'd have to ask my mother. I, I don't know for sure, but <laughs> that was probably the that was probably the best costume I can remember anyway. Other than that, I think I was like a race car driver every year for 10 years. Yeah, yeah, I, I definitely went through that phase. That might be our best rapid fire segment ever. I want to a part of me wants to extend it, but I'm I'm going to let you go. Um <laughs> The good thing is neither of us fell out of our chairs, right? Like or fell out of the car. Or yeah, whatever. right. I, my my yeah, headset didn't great. fall off, right? So that's, yeah, that's, yeah. Exactly. <laughs> Justin, thanks again for coming on with us. Congratulations once again. Um, that's five world championships total, three in the last two seasons. Uh, incredible run, and uh, and congratulations. Like impressive. Like we can't use enough superlatives. Uh, awesome stuff. And again, thanks for taking the time to come on with us. Well, thank you guys for having me, and uh, I hope I get to talk to you again soon for the same reason. But we'll have to see. <laughs> you do the Kevin Brandon lay the smack across the land, then you do the L ride and you come out like the world champ. You've been waiting all win alone. I want to thank everybody for tuning in. To make sure that you're the first to know when next week's episode is available, subscribe. And you can do that on Google Play. You can do that on iTunes. You can do that wherever you are accessing our show today. Just subscribe. That way that you know that you have got the latest edition of the podcast. You'll be the first to know. And do us a favor. Tell your friends about the podcast. Get your track involved by broadcasting portions of the Sportsman Drag Racing podcast over the PA on race day. For most racers around the country, we are approaching the off-season. What better way to use the off-season to ready for 2019 than to have a regular practice regimen. Porta Tree products make great gifts for racers. If you are assembling that wish list this holiday season, make sure to put Porta Tree on the list. From full-size trees to the practice tree that we personally use and recommend, the Eliminator Next Gen Touchscreen Practice Tree. Porta Tree has all of the practice equipment that you'll need. For more information, call Porta Tree 1-800-541-7613. Find them on Facebook or check out www.portatree.com. Be sure to use discount code DRAG10 for 10% off of your order. BTE is one of a few full-service transmission companies with a full array of manufacturing and testing capabilities. Their in-house CNC facility is paired with an extensive collection of gear hobbing and shaping machines to produce any high-performance driveline product. From inception... BTE's racing products are designed, prototyped, field tested, produced, inspected, and even shipped by real racers. Just outside of Memphis, Tennessee, their warehouse and manufacturing facility in Mount Pleasant, Mississippi is stocked with thousands of parts and is centrally located in the United States for fast delivery anywhere. Are you sick and tired of feeling like a failure at the finish line? I have good news for you. Answers. Based on my own experience and years of working with hundreds of racers just like you. Wait, I have even better news. I'm sharing these answers for free. 
That's right. On December 11th, This Is Bracket Racing will host a free public Facebook Live presentation dedicated to mastering the art of finish line racing. This is a subject that has been an overcomplicated topic for far too long. Within our presentation, I will detail the three simple principles to becoming a consistently successful finish line performer and provide specific resources to help you master those principles for free. Like and follow This Is Bracket Racing on Facebook for details and make plans to join us on the This Is Bracket Racing Facebook page Tuesday, December 11th for this free finish line presentation. That wraps up this episode of the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast. On behalf of Jed, I would like to thank you for listening. I'd also like to say thank you to this week's championship guest, Justin Lamb. Thanks, Justin, for joining us. Thanks to the sponsors who make it possible for us to present this show on a regular basis. Please support those sponsors, listeners. And by all means, tell us what you think about this show, about the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast in general, about ideas that you have for future shows. Message us on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast Facebook page or at us on Twitter. I'm at Luke Bogacki. That's B-O-G-A-C-K-I. Jed is at JP11X. This offseason, it is our goal on the Sportsman Drag Racing Podcast to interview and host each of the 20... Okay, that was kind of disjointed right from the get-go. Jed and I are proud to partner... Yes, partner. Partner! Enrollment in This Is Bracket Racing Elite is now open. You've heard me discuss, or at least reference, This Is Bracket Racing Elite. It is the premier offering of our website, thisisbracketracing.com. Elite is a membership community designed specifically to help you get from where you are today as a racer to who you want to be as a racer. Led by knowledgeable professionals, Justin Lamb and myself are longtime instructors and we bring in a host of guests, racers that you know, racers that you respect, led by knowledgeable instructors and surrounded by supportive peers that are ultimately striving for the same goal in their own unique way. The truth is at each event, there are a hundred plus entries, there's one winner. At the end of each season, there's one champion. That feeling, not so much the money, not so much the trophy, that feeling of achievement, that sense of accomplishment, that tip of the cap from your peers, that's why we do this. You can dream of that feeling all you want, or you can take action, take steps toward becoming that racer. If you're ready to take the first step, this is Bracket Racing Elite is for you. Enrollment is open now for a limited time. Learn more at thisisbracketracing.com slash elite before we close the doors again on December the 8th. <laughs>